In the midst of uncertainty, our faith can struggle. Our walk becomes labored, our heart heavy. There's something about the unknown which seems to weaken us. It drains our patience and blurs our focus. Yet, in the middle of everything, stands a faithful God. A God who's not swayed by the struggle, who isn't moved by the winds of chaos. A God who remains faithful, even when our faith is fragile. It seems more difficult than ever to not worry about tomorrow. Yet that's exactly what God has asked us to do. For when we cast our burdens on Him, the troubles of the moment begin to fade. When we trust the plans He has for us, our fear begins to subside. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our focus becomes consumed by clarity. Yes, we are in the midst of uncertainty, but we can be certain of one thing. God is faithful. And that is more than enough for tomorrow. And I pray that that's true for each and every one of us, that it's more than enough to know that, to, to hold on to him, to uh, be in relationship with him, no matter what's happening in your life and in mine. I, I, great to see you here, Gary. I saw you and Gloria walk in. I, man, it's been a long time since you've been here on a Sunday morning, and it's good to make sure you, you know, shake Gary's hand, pat him on the back, or I don't know, is everything okay? I mean, okay if people pat you on the back and say, good to see you. Maybe just gently, gently. Um, well, I, I kind of have a big thing happening to me in a couple of weeks. You know, we just went back to Minnesota and spent uh, five days with our oldest daughter and our grandson celebrated his ninth birthday. Uh, hard to believe that nine years has already just fleeted by. And, uh, you know, we had, the weather was great. Uh, the travel was great. It was, uh, it was good. It was good. I, I got to experience the most snow accumulation in the history of Minneapolis on Valentine's Day. Seven inches. Who, who would know that only seven inches was their record for Valentine's Day? But, but it was, and in fact, it's the most precipitation they've had in the form of snow since April 1st of last year. Uh, extremely dry in, in Minnesota. There was not an ice hut left on a lake when we flew over them all, they had taken them all off. And usually they're, I mean, they're hunkered down. They got their pickups and their trailers out there and their mini houses and, you know, their fireplaces and all of that and their ice fishing all winter long, but not now. So I have some big news uh, happening in my life. I'm sure maybe some of you and some of you have mentioned it. Man, what's wrong with your leg? You've been limping, you know. I, uh, it's been getting worse and it's keeping me up at night and my left knee has been bone on bone for a while now. 
and it's finally time. I'm, it's, I, I'm gonna have it replaced, and that's gonna be in a week and a half. Uh, so Wednesday the 6th, I'm gonna have a total knee replacement on, on my left knee. And in order to get ready for that surgery, they have said that I need to do some things beforehand. I need to strengthen the muscles in my knee. I like to call it prehab. Uh, I gotta do the prehab so that then I'm ready for the rehab. <clears throat> And in order to do that, I've gotten back on the elliptical that we have at home that's been collecting dust and, you know, has been a coat rack and et cetera for a while. Um, and, and when I get on the elliptical, I like to use iFit on my iPad and they have these, you know, it keeps me interested. If I just get on it and go, I, I, it, I can't do that. And I revisited a, a walking tour that I had done before of, of Wales. And uh, on day two of this walking tour, the... Uh, the trainer said some things that were like, wow, this is exactly what we're going to be talking about on, on Sunday. And, and so I just wanted to share that with you. He talked about, first he talked about making transitions in your physical health, that, that you need to make little transitions. You know, don't have these big, huge, gigantic goals. And, and I relate that sometimes people, they get, they get uh, challenged and they get convicted and they're like, I'm going to read my Bible for an hour every day for this whole next year, and, and they hadn't hardly spent any time in their Bible before that. And to me, that's kind of an unrealistic goal. To me, it's like, you know what? Start little. Say, I'm gonna read it 15 minutes, 10 minutes every day for, for a couple months, and then, and then as you are in it, you will begin to spend more time. It will happen. But if you step out there and you have this gigantic, like, you know what? I'm gonna run a marathon next week. I would never do that. I would never run a marathon. Uh, I can't, for one. Um, but he, he talked about how we need to uh, focus on small transitions because when we do, then we are able to stick with it. We can, we can continue in that pace. And then, um, you know, as we learn and grow after trusting Christ as our Savior, he begins transforming us. And sometimes that transformation is incremental. It's, it's a little bit here, it's a little bit there. Sometimes it is a supernatural, miraculous thing, and there's something huge that he does in our life. Um, that, that's God. That's him doing that work, and we need to trust him with that. And, and, then, um, and then he said this. Next, I want to talk a little bit about weakness, and my ears perked up. I'm like, what is he going to say? What is this physical trainer going to say about weakness. And he said, we all have weaknesses. He said, and we need to admit that we have them. I'm like, is this guy a preacher or what? Because that is exactly true. He said, we usually try to keep our weaknesses a secret or we try to ignore them or we try to, you know, sweep them under a rug. He said, but when we do that, it doesn't help us. Yes, you're right. It doesn't help us. He said, admitting our weaknesses is the only way that we're going to become better. It's the only way that we're going to grow. Uh, and when you identify the weakness, you then need to tell someone, man, yes, uh, that's exactly right. A and ask them to help you. My knee is a weakness. It has been for a long time, and I've been trying to ignore it for as long as I was, truly, I was actually hoping to get to Medicaid. <laughs> That's another nine years. I can't do it. Ain't going to happen. Um, 
And, and my wife told me one day, she said, I've been praying for you, for your knee. And I'm like, really? Yeah, that you'll get it fixed. <laughs> and I'm like, shouldn't you be praying that it would be healed? And she's like, dear, it's bone on bone. I mean, I, I believe God could do that. I'm just, I just don't think he would. So God answered her prayer. It was like within two weeks. Oh, now, I don't know how long she'd been praying that, but... Um, so I, I have admitted that it's weak. I've admitted that it needs fixed. And then I went and sought somebody for help. I went to see Dr. Von Stadi, and, and she referred to my uh, x-ray as, as well, in addition, another doctor said, use the same word. I don't know if they talk to each other. She's like, impressive. And I was like, impressive? What does that mean? She's like, this is really bad. Uh, another doctor, Dr. Barry, horrible was the word that he used in, in reference to my knee. So it's, it's time. And, and the fixing is going to be painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. That I'm not looking forward to. None of us ever look forward to that, right? If you think about admitting a weakness and having that weakness corrected, it's always, almost always a painful process to go through the correction of that weakness. That's why we avoid it. That's why we, we don't want to surrender to God who will mold and shape and transform us because we're like, nah, I don't, want to, I don't want to experience that. And so we limp along, weak, when if we would just admit the weakness. Now, the results on the other side, of course, I'm praying that it's going to be an amazing, healthy transition or uh, transformation, and I can't wait to be able to go on a hike and not have to take, you know, A to leave before I leave the house in order to get through that. Because I have been doing that. Not eight in one shot. Four at a time. Um, let me ask you this. What are your weaknesses? What, what are your weaknesses? Is your weakness that you don't have a relationship with Jesus? Because let me tell you, um, that is a weakness. Uh, since you're here and you're listening, um, you have at least started to admit that you have a weakness. You're searching for the answer. That, that is an amazing answer that comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you right now, if, if you have not crossed that line of faith yet, um, call on his name right now. Admit that you can't live without him, that, that you are weak trying to live on your own. Admit your sin Admit your attempt to control your own life because when we do that, when we operate that way, it, it never turns out well. It, it never turns out well. Surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus, just, just say, Jesus, I, I believe that you are who you say you are. Please, please take control of my life, all of it all of it. Maybe you've been a Christ follower and you've still been grabbing back some of that control. Right now, Right now, this morning, let him have it. Give it all up again. Come into my life. Lead me. Lead me. Maybe your weakness is giving in to peer pressure. You know what? Admit it. Recognize that you have that weakness. Tell someone. Ask someone to pray for you. Ask someone to pray with you and begin to put on the full armor of God. Spend time each day in prayer and Bible reading because the Holy Spirit will transform you. Uh, maybe you're weak in the face of temptation. Uh, pornography, lust, overeating, self-indulgence, self, uh, selfishness. Maybe you're tempted to treat others badly. 
and justify that. Maybe you're tempted to steal from others. Maybe it's material things. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's energy. Maybe you're stealing something else. Admit it. Admit you're weak in the face of temptation and surrender that over to him. Repent that of that on your knees to God. Ask him to forgive you and to help you uh, gain control and to have strength over those temptations. Tell someone else, ask them to pray for you. Maybe you need their forgiveness. Maybe there's someone in this room. Maybe there's someone in this county, in this state, in this world who you need to forgive. Call them on the phone today. When you leave here, call them and say, you know what, I just, I need to forgive you. I'm gonna let go of this. This that I'm holding on to. This poison that I'm drinking, expecting you to die, I'm gonna let go of my right to hold on to that. Forgive them. Be honest and admit your weakness. Maybe you are afraid of the future. Bob mentioned it at the end of that song. All the turmoil in the world has you on the edge and full of anxiety, and you're just afraid of what's going to happen next. You get, you get weak need, and you have questions that just cripple you, or they discourage you. You're like, God, what are you doing? It seems nothing. Well, that's not true, and we're going to see that here in a little bit. Maybe those uh, discouragements cause you to get wrapped up in finding the answers to an unhealthy point. You're focusing on just one thing. Or it also, I think, those weaknesses where their ugly heads can make us vulnerable to false teachers, to false prophets, to those who claim they have the answer to the question that we have when if we only went to our Bibles, we would see that they actually are, they don't know what they're talking about or they're trying to mislead us. They're, they're tickling our ears with what we want to hear. Let's be careful. Let's be careful. We don't forget to hold on to and trust the word of God first and foremost. In our weaknesses, we can forget truth that we have been taught in the past. It's possible. It is possible to have a pure and sincere mind and still forget. I blame that on COVID a lot. I forget things. But, but it comes, can come down to the reality of really, really important things. Some of us forget because of age. And, and for all of us, forgetting is a consequence of being human. Eutychus went to sleep listening to Paul as he preached. I, you know, you would think, Paul, the greatest missionary ever, he was putting people to sleep? Well, it was late at night to, in Eutychus's defense and it had been a long time, but he, he fell asleep and fell out a window. You can look it up. It's in Acts chapter 20. It can happen. Well, not here. Our windows are all shut. I just can see you with your eyes closed and your, bow, your head bowed, and I'm not praying, and you're sleeping. If we're going to be ready when Jesus returns, if it happens during our lifetime, we need to remember. We need to remember. We need reminded often. That's one of the things that we do on Sunday mornings here. Sometimes we hear the same message over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God knows that we need to hear it lest we forget. 
lest we turn to other things that aren't true. So the first thing that we need reminded of often is that God's word is true. God's word is true. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Today's message and next week is it for the series of, of 2 Peter. Uh, a week from, in two weeks from today, we start our Easter series. Um, I, I can't even believe that, but that is what is happening. Verse 1 of chapter 3, 2 Peter. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Since the beginning of our series, we have seen Peter confirming to us that the holy scriptures that we have is the inspired word of God. It was not manufactured by men. It was not created. It was not invented by the apostles. God himself spoke these words to the authors, those who wrote them down, those who penned them like sailboats. God filled the sails of their thinking with what they were to write and they recorded them. The prophets taught these words. Jesus taught these words. Peter emphasizes the unity of the Bible here when he puts the holy prophets and the apostles together in the same sentence. If you look at that, verse two, the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, and we know that they were prophets of God because everything that they have said has come true. They said God's gonna do this. God told us to tell you this. God said to go here, and they did, and God was faithful in all that he had them write and all that he has done. The words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So the Old Testament, those prophets, and the New Testament, the apostles, are one and the same. God's word is true. And we must stay true to God's word because we will all stand before the judgment seat of God every one of us, and we will all, every human being to ever live in the past, in the present, and in the future will face judgment. Every one of us. And, and this judgment has been a part of God's plan since the very beginning. It is prophesied about in the Old Testament. Many of the Hebrew prophets announced the day of the Lord and warned that the world would be judged. Um, this period is also known as uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, the tribulation is another word that describes this time of judgment. Jesus spoke of this day of judgment in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Paul discusses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2. And the Apostle John describes this terrible day in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. The end, the judgment of God, the ultimate judgment is going to occur. It's been prophesied. You can go to the bank on that. Jude, the book of Jude that I encouraged you to read a few weeks ago, shows us how long this has been prophesied. In Jude, verse 14, he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So since then, 
prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jesus is going to return. He said that he would, and he's gonna. Paul mentions that day in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You need to be ready. And the only way that you and I are going to be counted blameless is if we have the blood of Jesus poured over us. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the, it's, in, it's in Christ alone that we have eternal life. Philippians 2.16 says, Paul says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And there are many others. So not only does the word of God predict that Jesus will return, it also predicts the very scoffers who will deny that word that he will return. And we're going to see that as Peter continues to write. There, the very presence of these scoffers is proof that the word that they deny is the true word of God. Think about that. Why else would they scoff at it if it's not the truth? Um, something that's always crossed my mind is, why, why do people use the Lord's name in vain? Why do people use Jesus Christ as a curse word? Why don't they use Muhammad or, or some other word? Because those aren't real. There is no real curse unless you use the true one. Their very presence is proof that the word they deny is the true word of God. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31 says this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in and among you and will not spare the flock. We need to be alert. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Be alert, be ready. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. They will come, the counterfeits will be there. The false teachers, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 and verse 16, the spirit clearly says that in later times, we're in those. We're in those later times. I don't know that we're in the latest times. That's all up to God. Look, we could be here for, uh, um, humanity could be here for another thousand years. I don't know. And, and a lot of people like to argue, can it get any worse than this? You know, we have to be in the end times. Well, as I've thought about that, I wonder what it was like to be a Jew in the 40s. Could it get much worse than that for them? Did, I would, I would think that, that if there were Jews in that time that knew Jesus Christ and believed in the word of God, that they had to think this was it. This has got to be the end. He's got to be coming. Well, he didn't. That's all up to him. I don't know. You don't know. Those out there who proclaim to know, 
when the end is going to be, they don't know. Because we're told that in here. More on that in just a little bit. Such teachings, let's see, where, I'm in 1 Timothy, right? Okay. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And then verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Don't play loose with the word of God. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There are people in churches today who are, who are hearing a deceiving word and they're being led to destruction. And, and I pray that that never happens here. I pray that our elders tow the biblical line and stand firm. No matter what the world says, no matter what the government says, no matter what the enemy says, no matter what the consequences of standing true to the word of God are, may we do just that. God's word is true. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So why are these counterfeit teachers scoffing? Why are they deceiving? Why are they leading down this wrong direction? Why are they misrepresenting God's word? Look at verses three and four, Peter explains it. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it is, as it has since the beginning of creation. They wanna continue to live in their sin. They don't want to seek after holiness. They don't want to seek after righteousness. They want to justify their sinful behavior. Peter makes it very clear to us that the false teachers cultivate the lust of uncleanness, he says in uh, chapter 2, verse 10. And they try to lure people away using the lust of the flesh. Warren Wiersbe says this, if your lifestyle contradicts the word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the word of God. Now, I had a conversation with the late Tom Strong one day at Corner Mart. Before it was Ty's Pit Stop, it was Corner Mart. Tom and I are in there. Tom's standing at the counter with a vanilla milkshake in his hand. And he said, David, you know, the foundation of the debate in the world that is going on right now, and I think at that moment in time we were talking about homosexuality. He said, the, the debate that's going on there, the foundation of that is not homosexuality itself. The question is, are they willing to submit and surrender to the word of God? That's the question. What does the Bible say? Are we willing to submit to that? whether we like it or not. Because it is what's true. It is what is right. 
Because once you throw out the authority of Scripture, then everything else is up for grabs. It can be whatever you want it to be. You can make up whatever you want to make up. That's where our culture has gone right now. That's where we are. We're in the midst of that. They've given in to false teachers and they have turned their back on the authority of the Bible. Now, I want to do this genuinely and say, I have just as much potential to be fallible as other people when it comes to reading and interpreting scripture. And, and that's why we need the fellowship of the church. That's why we need good seminaries and, and universities. That's why we need Bible studies. That's, that's why we need good solid leaders. So, so that we can continue to search the scriptures and try and understand them for what they are truly trying to speak to us. Warning. Warning, warning, stay alert, stay alert, Peter says. Because it, it was happening in their day and it's happening in our mind, in, in our day. And we must treat what Peter says as the real stuff. This is real stuff with eternal ramifications. God's word is what keeps us on mission. God's word is what forms and fashions our hearts and our minds into God's image and his character. God's word is what points us to salvation. It's in Jesus Christ alone. We must stay true to God's word because God's word is true. Now, Peter does a good job of refuting their false claims. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more in a second. He then reaffirms the certainty of the coming of the day of the Lord. He's like, Jesus is coming. Don't listen to them. They're, they're misleading you. Jesus is going to return. The, the day of the Lord is going to happen. When will he come? We don't know. We don't know because it will come to the world as a thief in the night, he says. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 43 says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of day the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would, have, would not have let his house be broken into. Isn't that true? Some people, they want to know when it's going to happen so they can live however they want up until the day that it's going to happen. That's not a good way to live. Why? Because we don't know when it's going to happen. What if you knew the day? Uh, I'm going to pick on you, McKinsey and, and Ryder. What if you knew five years ago, what if God told you that Ryder was the one that you were going to marry? I can almost guarantee you that you would have found every excuse why he wasn't the right guy. When we know ahead of time too much information, we mess it all up. We really do. If we knew when Jesus was going to return, would we live holy lives and righteous lives until that day? I'm betting not. And, and here's the thing. Um, even if we did, let's say, let's just... Let's just say God did tell us we're special here in this building. He told us special. On, on, uh, on uh, April 15th, 1927, 2027, wow. <laughs> I wasn't even alive in 27, so. In 2027, on April 15th, at 10 o'clock, Jesus is going to return. What would we think? 
that's only three years away. I'm only 56 years old. I'm going to live till 75, so I can just live how I want to until that day, right? No, here's the problem with that. Those three students at the University of Wyoming that died in that car crash on 287, they thought they had the rest of their lives ahead of them. I pray that they were ready for the moment they were going to take their last breath, and that better be true of each and every one of us here today. You better know today, because your last breath could be in 20 minutes. It could be in an hour. It could be next week. It could be when you're 90. We don't know. And honestly, if we truly, genuinely want to live in a a living, breathing relationship with the creator of the universe, why would we even want to wait? Start today. Let's live that way today. And let's listen to what Peter is telling us. Let's be warned. Let's be warned by what Jesus says. Let's live for Jesus Christ every day. All day. Number two, God's work is consistent. God's God's word is true. Number two, God's work is consistent. These counterfeit teachers and scoffers were trying to make the claim that God doesn't and has never interrupted the stable operation of the planet. Um, They intentionally forget things, Peter says. Look at verse five. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter points out two historical events that happened in history that prove that God has been consistently involved in his creation. First, there's creation. Things just don't appear out of nothing. Uh, It doesn't happen. Things, I don't care how many libraries you blow up, you will never ever find a dictionary or an encyclopedia that was formed out of the debris of that big explosion of all of those words. There is nothing, nothing on this planet that goes from the, from the, the uh, state of order, from the state of disorder to order. It doesn't work that way. And that's what these guys are claiming. Big explosion, it all just existed. Man, that takes a lot of faith. And in my inacademic mind, blind faith, to believe that everything that exists today, including the intricate, complex part of your parts of your body, just evolved. Things don't evolve from a state of disorder to order. From the moment in time of the fall of mankind, things began at that moment to go from a state of order to disorder. God's been working since the beginning of time, creation. And Peter's argument is, off, is obvious. The same God who created the world by his word can also intervene into the world whenever he wants and he has. He can do whatever he wishes and we can all be confident that he will do whatever he wishes. Psalm 115, verse three, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And that is always good. That's never good when we do that. But God is perfect and all-powerful. So formed out of water and by water, and that same water God used in our history, Peter reminds us to destroy everything in judgment. 
And there is plenty of geological evidence that supports a cataclysmic entire globe flood. How else would you find fossils of fish in Wyoming, in the desert? I can't even imagine what it was like for everyone but Noah and his family. Can, can you imagine? I mean, there's water coming up out of the ground. It's coming out of the sky like you've never seen it fall before. It's coming up. It's coming up. You think valleys are worried about flooding. You, people are gravit probably running for high spaces, and there's no place high enough. None. Scientists of Noah's day, and I'm sure there were some, whatever they would look like, scientists of Noah's day, could have made the same claim that these scoffers are making. Everything is just going to go on like it always has. I don't know what you're talking about, this flood. It's not going to happen because how did that work out for him? Not very good. And when the time is right, Jesus said he doesn't, he doesn't even know when the end is coming. Only the Father. That blows my mind. See, God is never late. He is always right on time. And when it, is, when it is time, God will press that final button that will release the destruction of fire of everything as we know it. By the same word, verse 7, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Because of our sin, God will take that final action. Romans 8.22, we know, Paul says that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And that moment began when Adam and Eve sinned. Because what did God do? He cursed the ground. He cursed it. And in that moment in time, it, like, Back in the 80s when I had this knee worked on the first time, from that moment in time, things weren't totally right with it. And it was wearing out over time. And this earth is wearing out over time. It is groaning for when the end will come. We see that in Scripture. So we need to be alert and ready for when Jesus returns, if that comes while we are still breathing. It will happen one way or the other. And we don't know when it'll happen, so we need to be ready. We need to spend time reading and meditating on God's word because it is true and contains everything that we need for salvation and right living, for salvation and righteousness. We need to remember and hold on to the fact that God is working on a consistent basis in the world right now, right now talking with, with some folks before church started, and we were talking about, the, we, we tend to focus on the chaos and the hardships and the troubles, and, and, and we were just relishing the good things in life. We need to do that. Relish in the good things. And, and, and Peter's been, I mean, for three, three, two and a half solid weeks now, Peter's been reminding and hitting us hard with, with hard things to hear last week and the week before. But today I want to end with, with number three, and this is just incredible to me. God's will is merciful. God's will is merciful. We often think that the pain of correction and discipline means that God is mean and unmerciful, but really what it 
actually means is that he loves us, that he wants what's best for us. Um, Kids often, when their parents discipline them, think their parents are being mean. They're being cruel. Now, while that is possible with some parents, that is true, there is abuse that goes on in families. In a loving family, that discipline and that correction is not just because mom and dad want to wield their power and authority over, the, over you. It's because they see the future and they know that if they allow you to continue to go down this direction that you're going, the future's not going to be very good. And so they are trying to, in relationship with you, discipline you, guide you, help you, so that one day you can do the same if the Lord gives you children. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10, but do not forget this one thing, Peter says. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Peter gets this phrase from a psalm that was written by Moses. Psalm 90, verse four, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by or like a watch in the night. Moses knows a thing or two about God's timing. Um, God took 80 years to train him for the mission to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. When God could have delivered them in a flash, God could have struck all of the Egyptians dead and Israelites would have been free. God didn't do that. He took 80 days to train, 80 years to train Moses for that mission. For that matter, he could have sent Jesus a lot sooner than he did, right? Why didn't he? Because God knows the timing that needs to happen. He is the one that is in charge of that. He waited until, as Paul describes in Galatians, the fullness of the time was come. There was a time that God had set for this to happen. And when that time came, it happened. While God works in time, he is not limited by time. Something for us to remember. While God works in time, he is not limited by time. I mean, I think he he just sees it all. He says every moment of every day, for all of eternity as he looks down on it. You know, we, we, we experience a moment in time on a timeline. We don't see the beginning of the timeline. We don't see the end of the, And the way I picture God is he's standing over the entire timeline and he sees it all. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God's delay is out of loving mercy. It really is. The King James translation uses the English word long-suffering instead of patience. God is long-suffering for us. He is so patient. Thank you, Jesus. He was patient with the people before he flooded the earth. In fact, he sent Noah as a preacher of righteousness, but the people wouldn't listen. God tried to get the message out, but they refused to listen. Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared had there been 10 righteous people in Sodom. God patiently waited for Abraham to go and find those people, and he didn't. 
And what a gift that we have. When, when we close today and sing our final song and for this next week, let's be sure to worship God for his patience and thank him for that. Let, let's be sure to worship him for his delay, though in some, I can remember my, my grandpa always saying, come Lord Jesus. You know, as he looks at the world and all of the, the brokenness and the lostness. But, but think of those neighbors and maybe even those children that you have who have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. If Jesus came today, where is their eternity gonna be spent? His delay will be as long as he wants it to be. God's word is true, God's work is consistent, and God's will is merciful. And as I close, I'm gonna read us something. The worship team can come up right now um, to the stage. Turn with me or write down in your notes 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to end with this chapter today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to encourage you to read this over and over this week in addition to the last few verses of the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 that we did not cover today and that we'll cover next week. Let these words and the truth of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 seek in, soak into your soul. Allow it to do the transforming work to fix the weak knees that each one of us has in our life. Um, let me read this. Follow along or just close your eyes and listen. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ Jesus, you are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but yet, but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Peter's letters join this message of warning. We must stay alert. Our, our memory verses for this week are the next three or the next four. For, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Whether we live or die, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. 
Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's sing.